You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hi, thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. In this episode, the fifth in our series about farms and food, we'll hear from Gail Fritz, professor of archaeology at Washington University in St. Louis. Much of Fritz's research focuses on early plant domestication and agricultural systems, especially here in the Midwest. So you could say that this episode is about local food, but here we're talking about local foods that date back thousands of years. First, a little background information. Throughout our talk, Fritz mentions her work with the Eastern Agricultural Complex. This term refers to a group of plants that were grown and tended thousands of years ago in parts of Eastern North America and the Midwest. These crops were being grown before the arrival of corn and beans, which were first domesticated elsewhere. Fritz will bring up several of the specific types of plants within the complex, but first she explains how she got her start researching this topic. Starting when, even before I went back to graduate school to get a PhD, I already had a master's degree but was not really interested and had not done anything with agriculture or with with plants. But I worked for four years for the Arkansas Archaeological Survey as an assistant to the archaeologist at the Fayetteville Station. And I got to be running around in the Ozarks and looking at rock shelter sites and collections that came from these sites, many of which had been excavated in the 1930s. And they were dry rock shelters in, so they had been used, it turns out, for storage uh, by by native people uh, thousands of years before. And one of the things that they stored were these crops that we now know are members of what we call the Eastern Agricultural Complex. I got also to look at the museum collections of all of the plant remains that had been excavated from these dry rock shelters. And someone had looked at them, uh, a scientist had looked at them in the 1930s and published a, like a 30-page report. But at that point, people weren't using microscopes to look at minute aspects, anatomical aspects of the seeds and they didn't have any sense whatsoever of the timing. It was before radiocarbon dating had been invented. So they could see that there were some strange-looking crops that were not corn, beans, and squash, and they could see that there also was corn, beans, and squash, and it looked like they all went together in some kind of a complex, but they didn't know which came first or you know how it all sorted itself out chronologically. But then by the 1980s, we could date almost individual seeds. So when people started doing radiocarbon dating elsewhere, it turned out that some of these native crops preceded maize. And so I wanted to do the same. Nobody before um, I went back to graduate school had looked at the Arkansas collections, the Arkansas rock shelter collections. So that's what I focused on. My dissertation was early Ozark agriculture. Now we get into some of the individual crops within the Eastern Agricultural Complex. First, Fritz brings up a relative of quinoa. I've also heard it called quinoa, which you've probably seen in the grocery store. So one of the the most interesting members of the Eastern Agricultural Complex is related to quinoa. It's in the same genus, quinopodium, but it's a different species, and it was domesticated here. And it's a wonderful thing for those of us who are working with the Eastern Agricultural Complex that quinoa has become so popular and so well-known in, in the United States because we have an easier time convincing people that this is real food and this is a real a real domesticated plant. Those of you who have eaten uh, quinoa know that it's uh, 
pale seed, like a white seed. It doesn't really have the, the, any kind of a black seed coat, which its wild ancestor has. And, the, and so the domestication of quinoa involves selection for a thinner and thinner seed coat. Now, eventually, also, there was some increase in seed size, but not at first. It was just to get rid of that nasty, thick, black seed coat. So some of the Ozark rock shelter quinopodium was pale, just like, like quinoa, not quite as white, but it was it was gold, and the, and the wild ancestor is black. And so one of the things that we started doing at that time was measuring the seed coat thickness using a scanning electron microscope. And it was just a very dramatic difference between the pale seeded and the wild that's out there now. Unfortunately, the pale seeded quinoa from Eastern North America fell out. You can no longer grow it. You would ha- it would have to be re-domesticated, which I hope someday it will be. But the, the other members of that crop complex uh, were sunflower, which everybody already associated with, with eastern North America, and then a relative of sunflower called sumpweed, which is Iva annua, and then there's a buckwheat relative that's called erect knotweed, and then there are two grasses, two native grasses, little barley and maygrass. So now we know something about the group of plants that is now called the Eastern Agricultural Complex. But who grew these crops, and when did this all get started? So these were native uh, indigenous people that were not necessarily precursors of any known ethnicity or tribe, as we would call it today. But they were starting to settle down in river valleys. Even like six or 7,000 years ago, they were getting more and more sedentary here in, in eastern North America as the river valleys stabilized geologically, hydrologically. And they were starting to come back again and again to the same river valley sites between 5,000 and 7,000 years ago. Ago. And, you know, they started building houses and making cemeteries and trading with each other. And then 4,000 years ago is when they started uh, domesticating the quinopodium, the sunflower, and the sunweed between four and 5,000 years ago. And even before that, they had started cultivating a native gourdy type of squash that's um, now known as the ancestor of our acorn squash and our yellow crookneck squash. We used to think that all the squashes that were part of the corn bean squash complex of the Eastern um, Native Americans, the squashes had like corn and beans been domesticated in Mexico. But now we know that there was an, a Native Eastern North American squash that was independently domesticated as part of this, actually part of this this complex. And then around 2,000 years ago, there was really some developments in terms of the Eastern Agricultural Complex. Now that's also when we get our first corn. But uh, corn didn't just boom right away. It wasn't as if uh, people perceived corn as being the answer to all of their you know cuisine uh, problems, or it was it wasn't a king or queen right away. The way you know we sort of assume that as soon as uh, people in in eastern North America saw their first corn cob they would have said oh thank you you know here it is well, the food we've been waiting for but really it remained really quite scarce for 800 to a thousand years during that time period the members of this eastern agricultural complex were intensified you start they started digging big pits and storing lots of these pre-maze eastern agricultural complex crops even though now you're starting to get a little bit of maize here and there, but you're starting to get a whole lot of quinopodium and a whole lot of maygrass and a whole lot of um, erect knotweed, and then you get sunflower and sumpweed as well. So now we know a little bit about what plants were first grown in the Eastern Agricultural Complex and when that happened. But I also asked Fritz to talk about the cultural or social aspects of early plant domestication. 
part of it, we think, is that they were growing the the crops in order to engage in feasting behavior and other kinds of behavior that went along with the increase in trade. One of the reasons we think that some of the cooler areas, not the extreme cold areas, but the cooler areas in the mid-latitude zone of the eastern United States was uh, where this really took off rather than to the south, is that you have a longer period when you've got to get through the winter on stored foods. So this really increases the amount of food that you can store. And as uh, people are starting to live in more densely packed territories, where if you're dependent upon nuts, hickory nuts, acorns, walnuts, you, um, you have good years and bad years and you have to be able to shift around when the trees where you're living one year really have a really poor mast a very poor harvest and you have to be able to go and get them elsewhere but once people are more packed in they don't have that option so it's good to have uh, your garden produce then you still want to have good social networks but uh, you want to be able to host your uh, friends and neighbors and especially your trading partners from far away so um, 2,000 years ago we ha- start getting this what we call the Hopewellian interaction sphere uh, the, the burial mounds with uh, a lot of trade in mica and marine shell and copper and some really fancy um, mortuary ceremonialism is, is going on. This is where you get a lot of these little seeds turning up in the archaeological sites, the, um, the kinopodium, the maygrass, and the others. So it's uh, enabling an elaboration of culture and, and more social complexity. Many thanks to Gail Fritz for contributing to Hold That Thought. You can find links to her faculty and laboratory page, as well as podcasts on related topics, on the Hold That Thought website. You can find us at thought.artsci.wustel.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustl.edu. Thanks for listening.